We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle, episode 109 with Kara Forbear. I'm going to continue my conversation with Kara Forbear, and we're going to talk about how to help kids who are Native Americans and every other kid too, and how to be of good support for them. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate your support. If you wouldn't mind taking a couple minutes and sharing this with someone on social media or in an email, and maybe even thinking about going into the iTunes store and leaving a review, that would be greatly appreciated. If you'd like to learn all the amazing things that I learned from doing this podcast, you can sign up for the newsletter and get a free PDF on how on the top five things I've learned from doing all of these interviews over the past two years and 100 episodes. Thank you so much for listening. And here's our interview with Kara Forbear. One of the things that I want to understand is, is the perception maybe on the reservation you grew up on or on a reservation you work at now that these white outsiders or other outsiders are coming in and trying to take away what the kids are, take away their culture? Does Is there that perception? Is that a challenge that you feel you need to battle? Not with my, my generation. I, I don't think so. I think for maybe perhaps my grandmother's generation, that, that would have been the perspective, I believe, uh, because they were just coming off of the boarding school era which is very huge. And, you know, if you do some, you know, some of the research into that, uh, a lot of it wasn't, wasn't good at all. And, um, but that's not my fight. You know, I think my generation and the students we serve now uh, because of technology and the, sort of the globalization of technology and resources, the world has just opened wide up. And so I think you have a broader perspective now of, wait a minute, the reason we don't have, a lot of Native teachers is because, well, there aren't many. And, <laughs> you know, so you, you've got to work with your resources. 
And so even though on most reservations now, the majority of teachers are non-native, it's my opinion that there's nothing that we can't learn from each other. Our culture and our languages from our reservations, they're there. They're there with our families. They're there. That's the part of the community. And hopefully um, if a school is fortunate enough, they'll have those components within their curriculums. But that's a whole nother ball of yarn there because that's an interesting uh, topic. You've, you've got that already. I think I don't think that we're losing anything by having non-native teachers within our communities. If anything, it, it can be a very strong asset. Would I like to see more native teachers out there in the fields? Absolutely. Not only because I want to see my people empowered or native people empowered. Um, and like I said, depending on the reservation, you know, each tribe's situation is different from from another's. Um, so no, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. Great. What what are some of the things that you think that uh, would be beneficial for people to do to help more Native students choose education as a career? Education as a career. Oh, definitely. Number one, be that outstanding teacher. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I ask kids almost on a daily basis from second grade, first grade, fifth grade, you name it. Uh, what are you going to be when you grow up? I, there isn't a day that goes by when I don't ask at least one student that. And, and I will say, you know what? You should consider teaching. I think you would be a great teacher. And you should see the looks on their eyes. I mean, it's like these little light bulbs go off. And, and as young as they are, hmm, I never thought of myself having a job, let alone being a teacher. Could I really do that? You know, I'm just imagining their inner dialogues by reading their faces. And I just get a kick out of it. It's great uh, to see their eyes light up and, you know, having authentic conversations with, with, a, with a young person as opposed to talking down to them. So I guess being the teacher that you would want, being their champion and then uh, pushing them in the right direction, planting those seeds. So you talked a little bit about the the history of Indian education and how there were boarding schools. There's a ton of information out there about this, and I didn't know any of it before I came to Alaska and um, had to learn pretty quickly what that history was. Could you give a brief overview of what that was and then talk a little bit about maybe some resources where people could go learn more about it if you know those off the top of your head. If not, then that's totally fine. But a little bit of the history of what Indian education has been like in you know the last long while so we know where the, the history is coming from. Sure. Well, with uh, the, the settling of the West in the United States and uh, migration of Europeans, of course, the land was the number one resource that was available in, in America. And so what they had done was decided that Native Americans would be put on reservations. So they called um, each tribe has their own reservation, with the exception of a, a few consolidated tribal reservations. Uh, currently, I reside on the three affiliated tribes reservation, which the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara tribes reside here. Uh, respectfully. In doing so, there was the, tre the treaty era where chiefs of tribes entered into agreements, whether willingly or not, or knowingly or not, and um, unfortunately gave up a lot. A lot of land was lost, I'll say. But in return for that, the U.S. government had promised to take care of the tribes by uh, providing education 
and or food, um, farming supplies, medis, medical needs. It ranges and it's kind of not my strongest area because I really haven't studied it, but it's very vague what I'm offering you now. <laughs> but um, at, at the time, though, uh, another way to sort of assimilate the native or get the native under control for the U.S. government's needs, these boarding schools were opened up usually by um, organizations of religious nature. Uh, they were offered funding to open the schools, and their goal was to take the children from the reservations to the boarding schools and to as essentially assimilate them. I believe it's kill the Indian and save the man is one of the quotes from the gentleman, I believe, at the Carlisle School. But like I said, it's not my, my strength uh, to know uh, this, this sort of history. Uh, roughly the background, I know that's about it. But, but anyway, so with the boarding school system, uh, the Native students were not allowed to speak their language. Uh, they were punished, in most cases, very brutally. Uh, the hair was cut. They were stuffed into little suits and corset dresses and things of like that. Um, just They did a lot to really wipe away their own tribal and personal identity. Students who went to boarding schools often didn't see their family for many years. I mean, if you were really, very, very lucky or very fortunate, and it, which was rare, you could go home every couple of years for some of the summer months. I know that also some of the students at the boarding school, because you lived so many states away from where you were from originally, they practically ran the school. Um, they called it trades ed education. You had your bakery, you had your blacksmith shop um, and you had the laundry areas and so essentially the students ran the school and they were a handful of teachers. Uh, in summer months some of the students would be sort of lent out or or leased out to work during the harvest periods for uh, farmers and ranchers nearby the school or surrounding the school. A lot happened you know a lot was lost culturally for for, for many people, for, for a generation or two, easily. But with time, progression, and, and whatnot, oh, many of the schools have been shut down. There are a handful right now of Bureau of Indian Education dormitories or residential schools. And I know, for instance, Flandreau Indian School in Flandreau, South Dakota, they house mainly high school students. So people from all over the United States from different reservations can travel to that residential school, live there and go to go to high school for whatever reason. Many go, I, they're, they're not choice places to go. So many go to, usually it's to, to get away from whatever their family or home lives are like. It's interesting. My husband actually went to Flandreau Indian School. So he's got some wonderful tales. <laughs> and these, some of these schools still exist, but even up until I believe about the 1970s, 1972 is when the Indian Education Act was originally passed. And so all the way up until 1972, this was fairly common practice. And it wasn't just something that happened, oh, back in the 1800s, but this was still in our fairly recent history. One of the questions I have about those situations is how do you now ensure that students' culture is not being squashed or you're not just assimilating? How do you respect their culture now and still teach them what we need to teach them? I think it's you have to be willing to learn. I, too, am a visitor to the reservation where I work now. I am from a Lakota Sioux tribe. And as I mentioned before, 
this reservation it belongs to the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara tribes. I currently reside within the Hidatsa sort of village or area of the reservation, and they have a wonderful cultural and language program within the public school here. So it's, it's a mix of Native and non-Native students, but it was a decision that the school board made uh, for the city of Newtown, which is on the reservation. Um, they made the decision that it was important to to have that opportunity for the students. Um, but I do know that the three affiliated tribes also have a lot of initiatives or programs to stress that, such as language revitalization projects. They've got the tribal college here that, that does a lot of great work with that, offering Native Studies programs. And, um, of course, you've got the wonderful powwow season. I mean, it's it's kind of the lifeblood, I think, of keeping culture alive in Indian country. It's it's more than just going to see people dance traditional. You meet people that you haven't seen in a long time. You, you'll you run into them at this powwow and not see them for a while and see them at the next powwow. Uh, language is spoken. People generally enjoy themselves during uh, the powwow season. So it's community too, you know. It's there. It's got to be there. But other than that, I think being fair being willing to learn from from others is probably the best way you can go about it. You know, there's just so much, so much to take in. And it's, I think it's nice that I have an opportunity to learn uh, from my dots of friends here. <laughs> so I'm enjoying it and soaking it up. And you should too. I, I hope you're having a blast with it. I, I bet you're making wonderful connections within the community there. Yeah, absolutely. So the Alutic uh, tribe is the one that, that is here on Kodiak Island. And I I haven't learned a ton, but we've had a storyteller come to the school. We have Alutic dancers who are able to participate. And, you know, it's it's been a really cool experience. My daughter has had some Alutic exposure at her elementary school. And so she's learned how to say a few words in Alutic, which is pretty neat. And it's I just think that it's so rich and so valuable for us to know and understand these other cultures and understand what their history is and why they do what they do and and all that. We have a teacher at my school who is native and she um taught the kids how to make alutic hats, which was a really cool experience um just a few weeks ago and really neat to see the kids um creating those and she talked about why they were designed the way they were they're made out of wood and i'll i'll put a link in the show notes to what they actually look like so you can see them but it was a lot of fun to see that kind of stuff happen our science teacher recently had a chemistry lesson where she had the kids create some salve from local natural plants that that are here on the island and do it in the way that the Alutic people did it, which was a really cool experience too. And the salve actually works really well as a moisturizer for your hands, which I didn't realize, but it was cool to be able to experience that. So <laughs> there are a lot of great opportunities and your suggestion of you have to be willing to learn about them is is really great because they do care about their culture. Everybody does. Humans do by their nature. And um, when you take the time to listen and learn, then you learn some amazing things. And I certainly 
have done that so far. So I appreciate you sharing that. You can go ahead if you're going to add to that. Oh, yeah. I, I just wanted to mention, you know, build off of what you were saying. It's reaching out to those community members, uh, bringing them in. The families have so much uh they're, they're the parents and the grandparents that are out there, you know, in the cultural groups, uh, in the, the tribal governments and programs. And so making those community connections and uh, especially in the rural areas, I think is a great strength and a wonderful strategy to, to maintain or bring in culture and language into, into any school. Yeah, absolutely. So many schools have some native population in their school. Sometimes it's not very much. Sometimes it's a significant amount. What is your advice to schools who are working with Native students about helping them be successful and preventing them from dropping out and making sure that they can have the life that you knew you wanted when you turned 29 and decided to go back to school? Well, I think um, relationship building process, and as much as we say, you know, I have a wonderful relationship with every student in my class or every student in my school, um, it, it's just almost impossible and to get to that point, depending on how many people are in your school. But really getting to know the individual, perhaps maybe even mentoring programs, pairing students up with teachers or other faculty. Um, and they don't necessarily have to be teachers within your school either. I mean, a lot of support staff, most support staff in rural areas are from the community um, rather than teachers who move to places to uh, educate and look for opportunities to teach uh, diverse populations. So reaching out and pairing people up with even your support staff is a wonderful strategy. Um, they have to know somebody's there. They have to know somebody cares. But uh, you know, I think when you get into adolescent ages or age groups, you know, it's more than just, am I making the academic grade? There are so many social things that are going on with them because they're, they're changing so crazily and, you know, life's happening very fast for them. Just being, I think, providing resources for some of those students and whether it be uh, counseling services to toiletries to career education they have to know that these things are out there, that they have the resources. So providing resources, and, and I mean a variety of them, is going to be huge. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I would recommend. <laughs> I want to share a story that uh, we had a student who had some cultural beliefs about some things that were happening that to those of us who were not from her tribe or from her people sounded very strange and difficult to believe that she actually believed those things. And, you know, we had to, we had to really take some time and debrief as the adults that were supposed to be supporting her and try to figure out how we could support her and her family and respect her culture. When the things she was saying were so, so wrong in our eyes and, I'm saying wrong because I don't know a better word to describe it, but there are those instances where we see something and it's very different from what we would experience and very different from what we would teach kids. How how do we deal with those kinds of cultural differences? Uh, mediators, I think, would be a wonderful idea. Uh, and it's connecting with the right people. Right now we have at our school, our school social worker is a tribal member. 
and for many years she worked in the tribal for tribal social services. So not only was she a community member, but she really knows or you know can speak to the ins and outs of the system and resources. I guess uh, from a professional perspective and also a cultural perspective. And so I think finding the individual with both of those uh, somewhere within your community or amongst your resources out there and in other programs and bringing that person in uh, as not not a mediator necessarily, but just uh, another part of the team to help uh, convey what some of those beliefs may or may not be or just do some problem solving (laughs) and to uh, maybe bridge some connections there. Yeah, absolutely. So some of us have have many students in our schools and some of us only have a few or one. Many schools have access to federal funding to provide supports for Native American students. And what are some of the best ways you've seen those, typically their aides in in most schools that, that probably aren't on the reservation? What ways have you seen that have been really beneficial for an aide who's not a teacher to come in and support the students? You mean like a paraprofessional support aide or are you referring to like the like the mediator or an extra team member? There? Like a paraprofessional. Oh, paraprofessional. You know, I am huge on paraprofessional training. I don't believe that paraprofessionals, especially in rural areas, are given as much opportunity to grow within their profession because that is their profession uh, as support staff within our school unless they choose to go farther and um, many don't. I mean, I worked with this wonderful lady uh, when I was in teaching kindergarten and um, Miss Barb, I'll call her, she had been a paraprofessional for about 20 years. She did go through a teacher education program at her local college and by the time she finished school, she just decided, you know, I'm happy where I am. I like my job. I, I don't think I want that extra responsibility. I like my job because I can support the students. I'm working with the students. I can relate to them in different ways. And she was she was perfectly happy. And she insisted as much as administration and uh, you know her colleagues and the other teachers, we, we tried to say, come on, Barb, you can do it, Miss Barb. It's like, nope, that's not going to happen. And uh, this was about five years ago. And Turns out, I heard from a little bird, not but a few months ago, she actually took the leap and she finished her Praxis series and is now a kindergarten teacher. Awesome. <laughs> so, Finally got her. Yeah, That's great. Yeah. But I'm offering, though, paraprofessionals as much support as possible. In the eyes of the student, I mean, even though we as, as educators can see there is a distinct line between what a teacher does and what a paraprofessional does. In reality, students learn just as much if, you know, from paraprofessional staff. So because they're from the community, because they're a resource that's going to be there probably even after a visiting teacher's gone, come and gone, those are the people we need to invest in to make connections with students. Um, We need to build them up. We need to build our schools up that way. You know, we're, we're only as, what I didn't say it, somebody said it, we're only as strong as our weakest link. <laughs> yep, yep. We have to think of it. Uh, it's a school team. I'm big on team. We're, we're a team as a school community and, and every member of the team is important and needs to be recognized. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate that. Thanks for, for sharing that. The last question I ask everybody is uh, what can the listeners do today this week to be a transformative principal like you are? 
Oh my. <laughs> well, I hope I am. Darn it. I'm out there uh, doing the best I can. I think organizing time. You are. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I think uh, organizing time, you've got to have a wonderful work-life balance. Uh, that's something I still struggle with uh, because I, I tend to want to want to work a little longer than I should some days and bring home work that I, I shouldn't, but that's okay. I'm working on that. <laughs> I recognize that. Yeah, you'll get there someday. <laughs> but, but maintaining, yeah, maintaining a work-life balance and, and being there, being authentic with kids, having conversations with them, real, real conversations, uh, not speaking down necessarily. I mean, you can, you can redirect and, and uh, get somebody back on track and, and do it in a very uh, meaningful way. You know, that's, me is sort of the grease that gets the wheel going is uh, making that eye contact with that person and when you're talking with them uh, they know that you're there you're connected eye contact is huge Uh, and it's hard to do when you've got a large group of kids or a large group of staff either way but being afraid not to fail being able to say hmm maybe I don't know how to do this but I bet we can learn together I think empowering teachers to be accountable for their work as we expect our students to be accountable for work or learning. That's a huge one. Yeah, you know, building others up, that's where it's at. Students and teachers all around and being genuine and purposeful. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for for sharing that. How can people get um, a hold of you, learn more about you, learn more from you? Well, I am on Twitter. My handle is at Indian Education, and that's letter N, letter D, letter N, Education. That's sort of my main platform right now. I've had people ask, are you going to blog? Are you going to do this? Like, no, no, no. You know, basically, I've been fortunate to connect with so many wonderful educators in just different realms of education, and I just pull resources. So basically, my, my Twitter feed is it's essentially an education toolbox. Uh, I, if I find something that I think is a valuable resource, or there's an article that's got a powerful message, or I can learn something from it, uh, it it'll be there on the feed. And and I hope people are able to. Um, to, to access that and find something that speaks to them or something that's going to help them become better educators or better in practice professionally and personally or otherwise. Uh, so find me on Twitter. I'm also on LinkedIn. Not on there as much as I would like to be, but I'm kind of figuring out uh, how to work that. I'm still learning, I think, as uh, to be a connected educator. And I hope I'm, I'm doing well. I'm going to go with it. It's, you know, nothing's broken yet. So... <laughs> Well, don't you worry. The uh, a connected educator is just someone who's doing exactly what you're doing, learning and listening from others, and then also contributing. So you're definitely there. Your Twitter timeline is full of great, useful information. Um, I found a couple things on there that I think will help me. So I appreciate you putting yourself out there and sharing with others. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I, I- welcome the opportunity to share and and I've learned uh, some from you as well today and uh, if anybody has any comments or has any further questions about 
Indian education or questions about working on a reservation, working with students of a Native American population. Um, if I don't know the answer, I will find it. So please do contact me. <laughs> Just reach out on Twitter. If I can be a help, I will. Awesome. Thank you so much. Once again, I'm really grateful to Kara for taking the time to share all of what she has with us. She um, had some great information in there, and I hope it helps you reach the Native American students you have in your school. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really appreciate all of you who do listen to it. If you wouldn't mind taking a minute and sharing it with someone, another principal who could use the information here, I've got a big back catalog of interviews that I've done, and all of them will help you as they've helped me. Thank you so much. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Go to edupodcastnetwork.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.